Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. We've been having a pretty important conversation here in the city of Detroit for about a year now. Uh, that's how long it's been since the reparations task force in the city of Detroit was convened. Now, the goal of this group is to research the harm that was done to black Detroiters uh, over many decades of legalized discrimination and even after discrimination was made illegal in our country, and to come up with policy suggestions to hopefully usher in a world where black Detroiters receive reparations for past harms that have been done to us, but also where we level set a little bit, make sure that there isn't discrimination still existing that goes forward into the future. Into the future. But of course, not everything is easy to actually do. And so the task force has started out with a little bit of a bumpy road. Over the past year, there have been three task force vacancies, including one death, and general concerns that members haven't all been taking the job seriously enough. In addition to those organizational challenges, part of the struggle is, of course, the job itself and the weight all of this carries. The idea of reparations for African Americans is really old in this country. It began after the Civil War in an attempt to create a more perfect and more equal union. But it isn't just about slavery. Relevant here in Detroit are things like displacement, job and housing discrimination and segregation, things that have gone on for a really, really long time. It is about examining the long arc of discrimination in our community and figuring out how to repay those who were harmed, but also, again, to make sure that we're not still doing it and creating or maintaining the gaps that exist because of discrimination now. Now, some small liberal towns have already made their way through this process and implemented reparations in the form of things like housing investments and other things. And many large cities are also exploring what reparations look like right now. So the question is, what might happen here in Detroit? When we voted for this back in 2021, I felt this incredible sense of optimism and hope. Wow, we're going to sit and actually talk about these incredible inequalities that exist in our city and in our region, figure out what the source is, the specific source of those inequalities, and try to make up for them. Try to make people whole who were who lost things because of discrimination or were discriminated against in a way that deprived them of opportunities. That we were going to sit and really think about what the future could look like in our community if we would just face up to the awful things that have happened in our past. That's where we want to begin the conversation, is with that optimism. We do still have this reparations task force. They are still working on this problem. 
The question is, how do they harness this energy that existed, that voted for this in the first place, in order to make sure that this has the effect that it promised to have? A little later in the hour, we're going to talk with the task force's chair, Keith Williams. Uh, we're also going to talk with an organization that's tasked with assisting the task force in its job, looking at the ways in which discrimination define our community. But before we get there, we want to talk with Malachi Barrett. He is a reporter for Bridge Detroit. He covers the city of Detroit. And he's been writing about the task force almost since it began. Malachi, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So let's go back uh, to begin the conversation. For those who don't know, how did we get here? How did Detroit's Reparations Task Force come to be in the first place? And what is it specifically asked to do? Well, it really started with a, a ballot initiative. Uh, Keith Williams, who's now leading the task force, was behind this effort to put something to voters that would basically ask if there should be a group put together to study policy recommendations to you know address the historic injustices uh, uh, you know that we felt at the federal and the local level. And 80 percent of voters supported that in 2021. Um, you know, coming up three years later, uh, there was a process to fill that task force that took much of 2022. They asked residents, you know, what shape should this take? What kind of experts and, and you know, expertise should be on it? And then it came together uh, around February of last year and started a meeting. Uh, you know, at first there was some monthly meetings and then kind of a sporadic schedule. They they switched to a quarterly meeting schedule and there were some some interruptions there. Um, and at this point, you know, kind of a year after the the task force has been assembled, there's not a whole lot of, of documentation to kind of show what that process has resulted. Um, the specific uh, task before them is to uh, create recommendations for community reparations, for mass historic uh, in unjust treatment of the majority uh, black population. And, you know, that could look like housing and economic development programs. Um, but it's not exactly clear the scope of all of this. Um, Task force members have said, let's really focus on what the city of Detroit has done, um, as opposed to the impact of slavery and things that go back all the way back to like 1619. Mm -hmm. That's more of a job for the federal government. Um, but, you know, the the problem really that I think we've heard from residents is that this task force was was set up to be kind of facilitators of a, a really broad and intense community conversation. And that conversation hasn't really been able to happen because of some stops and starts, because of these vacancies, because of some... Um, confusion um, about what the responsibilities and the support from city council uh, has been. This is also set up as a city council task force, but is also kind of kept separate from the city council in some ways uh, that were kind of meant to depoliticize the process. One kind of key difference here is uh, normally task forces operated by the city council have members sitting on it, not in this case. Um, you know, the, the, Task Force was really rocked by the death of uh, Mother Joanne Watson mm -hmm. uh, last July. She was, you know, a generational leader for this fight. She had been in Congress advocating for federal reparations policies and was a really key leader in Detroit. And after her death, the task force was kind of reeling for a few months. They they stopped doing public meetings. Um, and then two members, uh, including one of the co-chairs, resigned in December of last year. 
Um, for a number of, of reasons, there were some kind of frustrations with the support they felt they were getting from the city or lack thereof, really, some kind of internal disputes about how the task force should be going about this work. And now as we enter 2024 and the task force has to, they have a deadline in October to release these policy recommendations, um, you know, leaders of the task force say that they're they're kind of getting back on the right track. They've hired a program manager to help them uh, do some of the administrative functions. One of the big problems that has kept this uh, task force from being able to facilitate this community conversation is, you know, the meetings have not been very accessible. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of like technical problems with Zoom broadcasts and, and noticing meetings and giving people ample time to, um, you know, notice to come to these meetings as yeah. well as like agendas and, and things like that. So it's not really clear from the public's angle. Like if you go online and try to find information about when can I participate in the next meeting, what's been done so far, there's not a lot of information out there about that right now. Yeah. So so let's talk about uh, some of the things that are happening now to try to put all of this on at least a, a more certain track, I guess is probably the right description. Uh, City Council President Mary Sheffield has taken a bigger role in the task force more recently. And as you point out, this is not uh, part of City Council, but it's kind of affiliated with City Council, kind of set off to the side. But but let's talk about uh, uh, her role, what role she wants to play, and uh, what she is doing to try to get things back on track. So the council president uh, introduced the the resolution that that formed this task force after voters established it. So in, in a lot of ways, her office has led a lot of the public engagement and noticing of meetings. But she has also uh, wanted to let the task force be independent and free to do this work in the way that they see fit, and and not you know get too involved in that. That has changed after really a direct call from residents. Uh, there is a group called the uh, Detroit Grassroots Coalition that. Small group, I mean, probably a dozen or so folks uh, had a, a virtual meeting with the council president in her office um, uh, about a month ago, early January. Kind of a tense meeting, honestly, coming to her directly, voicing frustrations about the lack of process, pushing her to get more involved. And after that, she she committed to take a more active role in supporting the task force. And really, that means meeting more regularly with this new project manager who uh, used to work for city council as a staff member. Um, to arrange these meetings, support requests for procurements and, and spending of uh, $350,000 in, in uh, budget funding that the council had set aside for this task force, review some of the bylaws, get information posted online, really do a lot more of the kind of uh, transparency and accessibility issues that have been holding back part, uh, public participation. Um, you know, the task force began a partnership with the University of Michigan last September to begin documenting documenting some of these uh, discriminatory policies, kind of set a foundation for discussions on reparations uh, programs. And that report should be available between March and April of this year. Um, the task force is also working with uh, uh, Columbia University. Um, there's this uh, national group called the African American Redress Network that's going to be coming here uh, March 10 to collect some stories of residents about, you know, what is the kind of current impact? Mm -hmm. So they're going about this two ways. U of M is going to look at the historic problems. Um, This surveying of residents uh, with researchers from Columbia and Howard will interview residents about how is that being felt today? And that will set the kind of basis of facts that the task force will use to create its first group of rep- recommendations by the fall. And and they've said, too, if they need more time, there's a potential to add additional time. I, I think 
you know, we all expected this to be very complicated and, and difficult work that would take some time. So yeah. there's not, um, there is an element of time pressure here. I mean, people will definitely want to see some results of this thing that, that really got started a couple of years ago, but also there's an opportunity to, to kind of slow down if needed. Yeah. Uh, we should point out that uh, the African-American Redress Network is going to join the show uh, a little later in the hour to talk about their work here in Detroit and uh, in some other places. So you'll hear more about that from uh, then. Uh, also, uh, we'd love to get going with listeners on the phones and on social. Want to join this conversation about Detroit's reparations task force? Uh, have you paid much attention to what they have been doing over the last year? Talk about your ex expectations. What do you imagine is possible from all of this work, taking a look at our history uh, of discrimination here in Detroit and Metro Detroit, and trying to figure out how to make good on the things uh, that went so wrong and make sure, of course, in the future, that we don't have the same kind of gaps that uh, that exist today. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can make you part of the program uh, that way. So, so Malachi, one of the things I think is really important about this uh, for Detroiters and the thing that I heard from Detroiters both when they voted for this in 21 uh, and as the task force got started is something you just alluded to, that this is supposed to be a conversation about our past, about our history. And um, uh, Detroiters were eager to take to take part in that in that conversation. Uh, I, I think if there is frustration, it's not in the idea that, that we don't have a set of recommendations yet. I'm not sure most people expected it to, to work quite that quickly. But I do think that they're they're frustrated that there doesn't seem to be more participation, more uh, opportunity even for participation. Uh, in this discussion, uh, have you heard from task force organizers about how they how they might address that feeling? They they definitely know they need to do better in that regard. I mean, there's task force members have, have been very clear that they have not really held up to the kind of accessibility and, and transparency expectations that they had set. I mean, they they pledged to follow the Open Meetings Act, even though they're not required to by law to, um, you know, have all of these uh, public comment sections at the beginning of meetings to notice them on time. That hasn't really happened. I think there's been kind of confusion about how to participate. Um, you know, there was a series of stops and starts last year with meetings. They, they put, postponed the second meeting and then took a two-month break uh, after Joanne Watson's death. They kind of switched to like a quarterly meeting schedule, but that only lasted for one meeting, and now they're they're back on monthly meetings at the beginning of this year. The idea moving forward is to meet the first Saturday of every month at a different location throughout the city. One of the challenges with that has been actually identifying sites where they can hold meetings that are large enough and have the kind of uh, technical ability to host Zoom broadcasts. And does the task force itself uh, have the expertise? Does it have back-end staff? to host those meetings. I mean, there's, you need a lot of equipment, you need a strong internet connection, you need to make sure that people have the correct link to, to get on. There were a couple of cases last year where uh, links went out and then you needed a password to join the meeting and the people were tweeting out, uh, the council president's office was actually tweeting out the password so that people could join. And, you know, if you're not fortunate enough to, to see that or know where to look for that, you're, you're not able to participate in that way. That was really the, the key reason a program manager has been uh, such a you know important part of this. 
um, to kind of handle those back end tasks because the task force members are, are really researchers, academics, community voices. They're not people that are really used to the kind of, um, yeah, just like the, the organization of putting together these meetings and making sure that they're, um, they're accessible to folks. The Northwest Activities Center is hosting the next meeting on February 3rd. Um, that was where they met in January. I think, you know, the intent of moving throughout the city um, is, is definitely so that folks have uh, the chance to kind of not have to drive across Detroit to find them. But, you know, there, there just hasn't, there's not even really a good outline of when those meetings will happen now. The, the meeting for, I guess that would be next uh, Saturday, hasn't even been noticed yet. Mm. Um, there's an email account that's been established to collect feedback, but there's no website really that has meeting notices and documents. So, I mean, in terms of facilitating this conversation, it's like, where do people actually go to do that? Sure. It's been tough for folks to find that out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Malachi Barrett uh, from Bridge Detroit. Always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by to talk about the Reparations Task Force. Absolutely, anytime. Uh, we'll be right back with more Detroit Today. talking about Detroit's Reparations Task Force uh, and the work that it's done over the past year, as well as what we might expect from the year coming up. One of the things that's absolutely and unequivocally true about the task force here in Detroit is that it includes a lot of people who I think an awful lot of in this community. Uh, they're smart. They're thoughtful. They're dedicated to the idea of this city and its future and, of course, the people of this city and their future. Uh, we could not really have done better in terms of who's on it. So one of the questions is, why have we had so much trouble getting all of this on track, getting it moving at the pace uh, and in the manner that we all thought it would? To answer that question and talk more about the work of the task force, we're now joined by Keith Williams. He is the Michigan Democratic Black Caucus chair, but he is also the chair of Detroit's Reparations Task Force. Keith, always great to see you. Welcome good morning. Back to the studio. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. So we've been talking about the task force and all of the things that it's done. I want to start with your perspective. Uh, talk about the last year, uh, the things you guys have been working on, and the frustrations that people have with the process so far. Uh, why have things not gone quite the way we anticipated? I'm going to start off with a scripture that says, Weep a man, do it for a night, but joy cometh in the morning, okay? <laughs> and, the, and basically what, it, what it's all about, it's like sausage making, uh, Stephen. You know, it's ugly. You're trying to put it together. And then when you put it in the frying pan and, and the results is, is good, is delicious, and you get it's edible, okay? And so, you know, it, it's just like any organization, new organization. You got all these minds and all these thoughts about what reparations is, but, you know, you got to bring all that together. And I'm telling people this. It's been three decades since John Conyers presented H.R. 40. 
okay, and this was started by Reparation Ray, the articulate brother, real estate guy, his son's still living in, in, in Metro Detroit, and he started this movement, and then John Conyers, they both collaborated, and then they had Joanne Watson that worked with John Conyers, and they was trying to bring it to fruition, but as you know, in the federal government still languishing, there's nothing going to happen because of you got Southern Democrats. Everybody's scared of the word reparations. So I said, why don't they come up with repair, heal, and rebuild, okay, if it's going to get that detrimental to the cause. But at the end of the day, we're trying to make it work. And I'm just telling people to have patience, okay? Reparations, they've been talking that for years, and Stephen. And, <laughs> and we come up, one's bad sister out of Everston, Illinois, my friend, who I'm you know, trying to emulate is Robin Ruth Simmons. She's the one who came up with the municipality reparation, making it local to the uh, to those governments who has caused all the harm within the, uh, the African-American race. We all know freeway systems went to Tulsa, they went to Chicago, and they went to uh, uh, Detroit. So let's have patience. We're going to get it right. You know, and, and I, my question is, where was these other uh, folks out there when the, the issue about reparation was out there? All of a sudden now, the reparation task force come to fruition and everybody got that. They want to take shots and all this other stuff. But where were they then? Yeah. So so let's talk about what's happened over the last year then. Uh, are you where you expected to be at this point? You know, after we won by 80% of the vote, it took a year for the city council. They had to go through their process. And then last year, um, we finally got, uh, we got together. And then we had several meetings, several trying to get to know you meetings and all this other stuff. But what changed is when Robert Ruth Simmons came and spent the whole day, a weekend, and um, it was back in April or May, and she's got us on the right track. And so now we're trying to get on the right track. As Malachi, he did an eloquent job, and I, I like Malachi. He's, he's not one of those sneaky reporters that— uh, the Hey, guy, sneaky he, reporters, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the got you guys, but he's, he, 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 you know, he laid it out. And what happened is Robin Ruth Simmons got us focused on— where we should go, and we try and emulate what they did in Evanston. Yeah. Although Evanston is 15% African American, uh, very Town, different community. Yeah. They're a very different community. More a lot. You, I, man, yeah. I like going there every year. For the last three years, they have the conventions. Yeah. I've been going all the millionaire, million dollar homes, <laughs> and all that richness. Out there. I want some of that coming. We into need the, some of that here in Detroit. Yeah, too, we need right? some of that in the hood, man. Yeah. But, but we're she's got us on track, and we're focusing two areas right now. Uh, University of Michigan is doing a harm report. You got to know the harm before you can go anywhere. And then uh, Columbia and Redress Network is coming to town in March to go do a, a impact report. One is the cause and one is the effect. And we're we're getting, now since we got our program manager. Uh, we started specifically about rules and all that other stuff, rules of engagement. And I think we are on the track, on the right track of getting this done. We should have a report. I'm, I'm hopeful we'll have a report by September. So the, the it, it, until they put it in the hands of the city council mm -hmm. and let them do what they got to do to take it to the next step. Yeah. Uh, we should uh, explain for listeners that Robin Ruth Simmons is the founder and executive director of First Repair, yes. which is a non nonprofit that uh, informs local communities yes. about how they can go about uh, reparations. As you point out, they've done work in, in Evanston. Man, and we're helping you here, too. Every month we've been meeting for the last three years, we got 60 cities involved in municipality reparations around the country. So, so 
uh, I want to talk about the the vacancies that yes. have come up in the last uh, mm-hmm. in the last year. One, of course, was uh, the death of of Joanne Watson, uh, the the really unfortunate and tragic death for this community uh, of Joanne of Joanne Watson. But but you had two other folks uh, go away as well. Um, you know, for some people that suggests instability or turmoil. Uh, I, I want to hear from your perspective. What happened? I love both of them, and uh, Lauren is my friend. Lauren Hood, who was your co-chair. Yeah, my co-chair. We still stay in touch. Weeks, you know, when he left, he left me a a kind message. But the bottom line is people got to do what they got to do, Stephen. I can't speak for them. All I only can do is speak for my my intentions and what I'm trying to get across. But I I will speak no ill of them because they're great people. Just people, you know, they got they go in directions they think think is best for them, and that's all I can say. I, I miss Lauren, you know, I miss both of them. But the reparation movement is bigger than those folks. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than John Kind. It's it's about redressing issues that you know that harm black folks from gaining wealth in America. And and does that disruption account for some of the trouble? That you guys have had, it's it's not easy to keep things on track when you don't have the same people uh, the whole time. But if you got a format, you just got to stick to the format. Like you got a format, WD. You can if you got a good strong, you got a format. People can come and go, but if it's got a plan and we execute the plan. I don't think it's going to be bad, man. I think it's, you know, like I said, sausage making when my mother used to cook them sweet potato pies, man. <laughs> and then when she put it in that oven and come on your slice, take a slice, it is good. And that's what we're trying to do. Stephen, I'm not trying to talk about negative stuff. I'm talking about the positive stuff that that the citizens put us in place to do something for them. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm a public service. I'm not trying to get rich off of this. I'm trying to do what's right. I was born in 1956 and women's hospital in the heart of Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. We lived at 3154 East 4th Street, right on King's football field. Mm-hmm. My brother, my sister and my brothers went to Duffield where Macomb, this, the, the first owner of slaves. So I get it. You know, it's some of these new new folk, they got to get it. And one thing was, it's got to, what we got to do, Stephen, we got to do a history a history tour. People need to know the history. When black folks came here, and even in in slavery in 1790 with the French and all of we had some rung bucks in slaves. They they was fighting back. They didn't want to be in slavery. And then, you know, and then you got Dr. Ozzie and Sweet, you know, Man's Castle is his home. You know, the person got shot with that. I realized, I didn't realize from 1925 to 1929, they built 50,000 homes. And black folks could not live in them mm-hmm. when they came from the South. So people need to know the history, and, and, and the history is, is, is real. And what we're trying to do is recreate the history, but bring some substantive stuff to so people can understand what happened and how we can redress it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and be part of the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Keith, I want to talk about Mary Sheffield, who's the president of the city council, uh, who sponsored the resolution to create the task force. Uh, she also says she she wants to be more involved uh, and and help the task force uh, get it, get its work done. Uh, talk about that that relationship and how important it is for her to be to be more involved. 
You know, it's an old saying, the doors of the church is always open. <laughs> okay. And Mary, I, I saw Mary yesterday. I think we're getting ready to get three more appointments. She didn't get, get specific with me, Joanne's seat, uh, Lauren's seat, and uh, Week's seat. But I tell you this, uh, we need the city council to be involved because it's a team. It's a teamwork, make the dream work, okay? If we all come together, it's, it's a collaborative effort. We need everybody. You know, I'm just saying the task force only is the only entity that has standing in the city of Detroit when it comes down to this mission because the citizens of the city of Detroit voted for it. And so Mary is trying to do her part. She's going to do her part, but we got to execute it. We got to do what is necessary. We got to have, make sure Michigan is doing what they're supposed to do. When the folks come in from the, from uh, Washington, D.C., doing what they're supposed to do. And now we're, we're now picking locations more or less into the rec centers and things like that where, you know, where the folks always there. You know, you don't buy the rec center. You're going to get the elderly. You're going to get young and old. You're going to get the whole shot. So we're starting to, you know, find our places and spaces and things like that. And and with the um, the folks coming in uh, in March, we're going to go to, you know, places where the harm was caused, like Southwest Detroit, Kennedy Center. You, you know, pollution, people have died in that community. You had Ford Motor Company. You had Great Lake Steel. And you had uh, Marathon Oil. Then we're going to go to Black Bottom. Then we're going to go to the Burwood wall those are all significant uh, uh landmarks that was a part of the uh the skull Dugger and the harm those caused on black people so we're getting it together Stephen. you're gonna be proud <laughs> you're gonna be proud in the next six seven months and and i'm gonna say this to you mm-hmm. being on a, a, any board you know you're gonna have different opinions of course different attitudes and you got to be strong you got to be willing to listen compromise and all this other stuff so I'm asking the citizens to compromise with us you know like I said Roman building a day but we don't need you taking shots at us and you know all that other stuff because we're this is this is valuable work it's work from the heart work yeah, yeah. This We're not getting paid most, for it. Yeah, this is one of the most important yes. things we will do ever yes. in this community. And, yes. and, and I'm not exaggerating in any way there. I mean, I, I, I really believe that, that uh, the effort to face up to all of the things that have happened here, to really unearth those things and talk about them, and then confront them in a way that, that says, look, uh, people were wronged and they deserve right. uh, compensation for that, but also... Uh, we need to make sure that going forward, we're not repeating yes. the errors, right? Yes. We're not making yes. the same mistakes again. Yes. So that 50 years from now, a task force sits around and says, "Well, how do we how do we fix all of these things that got that that went wrong?" I mean, there isn't there isn't a more fundamental question to face or answer in this in this community. This can be transformative if we do it right. You know, there's a lot of land out here. There's many forms of reparation. We got to look at all that, how you pay for it, Steve, how, you know, what's encompassed, you know, the reparations and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's, this can be a, a game changing moment for African Americans when it comes down to economic development and housing, not this little stucco houses. You know, everybody talking about affordable housing. I want real housing. The house, my first house was, I bought was on Pearson and, and Plymouth, a brick home. Uh, in a solid neighborhood, I want to see that again. Yeah, I want to see the kids walking down the street. Maybe I'm I'm in a fairy tale world, <laughs> but I want to see the schools working again. Uh, just a whole collaborative 
infrastructure kind of thing where people can come back. They will want to come back and live instead of going to somewhere else and live because there's no place like home. And 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 I ain't going nowhere, Steve. I went to Eastern Michigan. I came back, and I've been here. Me and my wife, we live in, we live in her mother's house, and so we're not going anywhere. I'm gonna die in Detroit because I love Detroit, yeah. and this this reparation thing can be a game changing moment if we do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Keith Williams, uh, it is always great to talk with you. And, of course, I wish you all all the luck this year uh, get, keeping on, uh, on the work on the Reparations Task Force. September, you think, uh, might be when we get our first report. Yes. We will yes. look forward to that. Yes. Thank you so much. And I want to thank Malachi and want to thank you for offering us and letting us speak our piece. Of course, of course. Yes. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about Detroit's Reparations Task Force. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. been a lot of new movements for racial redress in this country. In 2019, for instance, Evanston, Illinois, passed the first reparations law in American history, and it set out to address decades of housing segregation and discrimination. There are also reparations task forces now established across the country in some cities. One group that is working to help those task forces is the African American Redress Network, which is now partnering with the Detroit Reparations Task Force to talk about what they do, how they're working to assist the task force here, and what this looks like on a more national level. We've got the co-founders with us. Uh, Linda Mann is a co-founder of the Redress Network, which is this collaboration between Columbia University and Howard University. She's also an adjunct associate professor and adjunct research scholar in the Faculty of International and Public Affairs at Columbia. Linda Mann, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, everyone. Also with us is uh, Justin Hansford. He is a co-founder of the African American Redress Network as well and an associate professor of law at Howard University and executive director of the Thurgood Marshall Civil Rights Center. Professor Hansford, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. So I want to start uh, here. Uh, what does the African American Redress Network do. Uh, Justin Hansford, I'll start with you. Sure. Well, you know, the African American Redress Network is a collaboration between Howard and Columbia, and it really allows us to support the grassroots movements that are happening all around the country designed to obtain reparative justice and redress uh, for people who have been victimized by enslavement. Uh, no, no, uh, Professor Mann will tell you there are over 450 of these grassroots movements happening all around the nation, and Detroit is part of that as well. Mm -hmm. And whether it involves legal support or, or scholarly historical research or organizing work to get the community out and uh, organized to fight back, anything that we can do to be a support, we're going to do that. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Professor Mann, uh, I want to bring you into the conversation as well to talk about specifically what you are doing with the folks here in the city of Detroit. We've got this reparations task force that has been at work for a little more than a year or almost a year at this point. Uh, what is the what does the network's work with the task force look like? Well, as Professor Hansford was stating, we've worked with many different communities on efforts to advance reparative justice. Um, and in many spaces, uh, that work is actually led by the communities alongside our students um, in Detroit, we will be implementing an impact analysis using the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. There are 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals that assess the overall well-being and health of communities. And we'll, we will be targeting looking at the Black community in Detroit. The Black Audit Project, which is what this uh, impact analysis is, is coined, was actually advanced by Professor Hansford at Howard University. And it's important to note that Professor Hansford is the United Nations, uh, he's a delegate, he's the U.S. delegate to the United Nations Permanent Forum for People of African Descent. Mm -hmm. And this study will be elevated at the U.N. in April in Geneva. Mm. Um, so um, when we think about community-led efforts to do this. Um, I, I, I want to have you guys talk some about how we know that that's authentic. One of the things that I think has frustrated people here in Detroit is that uh, when we passed uh, the, you know, the ordinance that, that would create this task force back in 2021, I think people were really looking forward to the conversation as much as the outcome, right? Uh, the, the chance to be part of the exploration of uh, this issue and of the past in order to determine what we should be doing now to make a better future. And I think uh, if you asked most Detroiters who had that excitement uh, when that happened, they would say, well, I, I haven't really felt that yet. I haven't really seen that yet. So I want to get an idea of, of what community-led efforts in this regard should look like, and maybe some places uh, that you've seen it work in a, a different way than we have been able to to, to manage so far here in, in, in our city. Uh, Professor Hansford, uh, uh, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, uh, one, one of the more successful experiences we've had in the Black Audit Project is when we went to San Francisco in uh, 2023 in the spring and we had a similar uh, type of town hall <clears throat> where we talked about uh, the sustainable development goals as they apply to black San Francisco. So just to provide context, there are 17 of these. They allow us a platform to talk about everything from access to housing, which is a major issue in San Francisco, access to education, healthcare, um, clean water, all of the basic human rights that uh, all people around the world are uh, guaranteed, but too often Black people don't get to talk about their unique experiences trying to obtain these basic human rights 
um, in the United States. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, here, you know, this this is a platform for us uh, to talk about how these issues are not just political issues, they're human rights issues, and they're issues that oftentimes aren't uh, solely in the hands of the current mayor or city council. A lot of times there are long-term systemic reasons why we don't have no equal access to education or healthcare. I lived in Detroit uh, for a little while in uh, 2010. I worked for Judge Damon Keith hmm. as a law clerk. Mm -hmm. So that um, definitely, you know, working with him, <laughs> right. I learned a lot about this. Yeah, yeah, he knows, he knew the city inside and he out. Absolutely did. And, <laughs> that's right. And uh, so I learned a lot about these issues. And these are systemic issues <clears throat> that are not issues that have just popped up starting today. These are issues that have been around a long time and they're going to call for systemic solutions and you hope that a project like reparations would point to those systemic issues and give people a voice to talk about what they've experienced in their families going back for generations and how we can now move to solutions so in san francisco we had people talk about their you know their grandparents experience being black in san francisco and the 40s and 50s and mm -hmm. how the city has changed. I mean, it was really a chance to be able to speak about their experiences and how we could perhaps now use this opportunity to really make a difference. I'm hoping something similar can happen for Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and be part of the program that way. Let's start today with Evan in Detroit. Evan, what's on your mind? Hey, how's it going? I appreciate you taking the time. Sure. Uh, so I've been listening, um, and, and when I originally called, I think I was, you know, like most residents, I think very kind of just unsure and um, ignorant about what exactly the task force looked like and, and what it even means. You know, mm -hmm. is it going to be cash given to people? Like, how is it going to be implemented? Who is it going to be targeted? Where is the money going to come from? And I think, you know, most of us still have a lot of those questions. Like, so I think we really just need some, some structure in, in specifics because, hmm. you know, we do like the idea of it. It is, it sounds great. You know, it sounds like uh, justice. It sounds like what we deserve. But where is the money going to come from in our, you know, if, if it's coming from the city, is it just taxes that we pay? <laughs> right. Are we going to pay be? for our own reparations? Right, yeah. right Evan? Yeah. Uh, idea I had maybe the reparations in some form could look like a, a tax subsidy, the same way they subsidize, you know, these um, hotel water square and these arenas mm -hmm. and these uh, project, you know, whenever the billionaires get, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of taxpayer money to build something, maybe they could let us keep some of our own money if we qualify for reparations. And maybe mm -hmm. we could use that to buy some land, yeah, they could, you know, maybe. Evan, I, I like the way you're thinking, and, and I think uh, that that's the whole point of this is for all of us to kind of turn our brains to these questions for a bit and, and try to come up with, uh, with solutions. And you're asking the right questions. How does this work? Uh, where does the money come from? And, and, and all of those things are, are things that the task force will be uh, addressing at some point. But uh, – Professor Hansford and, and Professor Mann, I wonder if you can talk just a little about how this has worked 
in other communities, the solution, the outcome? Because that's one of the questions I think what, what Evan's talking about. I hear that a lot here uh, in Detroit. Um, let's talk, for instance, about Evanston and, and this effort to repair housing discrimination. What's actually happening there and, and how is it how is it supported? Uh, I'll, I'll leave it to, to you guys to figure out who's going to answer that, that question first. Maybe Professor Mann could start on this one. Okay. <laughs> I actually wanted to talk about Chicago. But <laughs> okay. Well, whatever, whatever example you think is the best. Well, just because, I mean, we can talk about Evanston. I just feel like it's one of the more well-known cases. And so I thought it would just raise up a study that we worked alongside community members in Chicago, in Inglewood and West Garfield um, a year and a half ago and engaged deeply with about 12 plus uh, Black-led organizations that were already working on uh, addressing some of these harms. So there were programs that were focused on food um, sustainability, on health care, on education access. Um, and what we did with those with that work is, as I said, worked deeply alongside community organizations that were already engaged in this work and then took a really deep dive into the policies that were happening in Chicago to, to explore whether or not there were some avenues to this previous caller's question that would actually work to address uh, the harms in those communities. And what we came upon was that there had been a policy put forth for guaranteed basic income. And it was basically a more broad distributed uh, program. We recommended that they target uh, these communities that we could demonstrate the uh, government had disinvested and discriminated against Mm -hmm. um, over time. And I'm happy to say that in December, uh, the new mayor, uh, Brandon Johnson actually implemented that po- that policy almost to a T to mm. what we recommended with the advice and guidance from the black community yeah. in the, in those communities. Yeah. So that's a, a different example, but I just wanted to raise that up because Evanston is raised up a lot, but sure. there are other areas of uh, promise that I think we need to also look at and see that there are policies that are possible and it's looking for those avenues that exist already potentially within the government system. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really great, that's a really great example. Uh, uh, Professor, Professor Hansford, I want to give you a chance as well, but we've only got about a minute and a half left. So it's gotta be a quick one. Sure. Well, we're going back to that Evanston example. Uh, which is so famous, Uh, there was a study conducted by the city of Evanston, which demonstrated that it had participated in redlining from 1919 to 1969. And so Evanston initially created a plan to provide uh, redress in the form of support for uh, housing subsidies, down payments, home improvements. So there was a remedy uh, reparation that was systemic and that spoke specifically to the harm that the city demonstrated. And so that's some of the things that we could look forward to perhaps in Detroit. If you we know what's happened in 
you know, some of the histories of redlining in Detroit and some of the things that happened during segregation, in addition to enslavement. So many, so many times people look at reparations as solely a redress for enslavement mm-hmm. policy. But there's so many things that we can provide repair for. And uh, the list is long and this process can allow us to start uh, doing that listing so that we can begin getting justice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we are uh, out of time. I would love to, of course, continue this conversation. And we've got other callers who want to participate as well. But I want to thank uh, Professor Mann and Professor Hansford, not only for joining us here on Detroit Today, but for the work that they're doing with uh, Detroit's Reparations Task Force. Thanks to both of you for, uh, for joining us today. And uh, we'll try to have you back in the future. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate you raising up this work. Sure. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.